Hey, welcome to Church Alive. We hope this message is something fresh, real, and powerful for your life. Thanks for tuning in. Enjoy the message. My name's Steve. For those of you who don't know me, I'm a leader of our Freedom Transform group here at Church Alive. Yeah! And I'm very excited. Pastor Anthony and Pastor Miriam are away on a vacation, getting some much-deserved rest. And so they've asked me to share with you this morning on Palm Sunday. And I'm so honored. I'm so excited to be there. I want to honor them for giving me the opportunity to be here. I hope you're excited. I got a word I think is going to really touch you this morning. So let's just open up in prayer. Lord, we thank you for today. I thank you, Father, right now, Lord, I pray, Jesus, that you would be softening the hearts of every single man and woman and child in this room, and that, Lord, today your word would be spoken, that faith would rise up, and that, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit, lives would change in this place. We love you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name, we pray. Amen. Thank you, worship team. Can we give them a big hand? Thank you, guys. So today is Palm Sunday, and when I was younger, the earlier part of my life, we weren't very regular church attenders. We had gone, but we weren't like an, an every Sunday kind of church family. And then a little later into my life, um, I was in, I guess, like seventh grade or eighth grade, more or less. We started actively going to church. And so we had gone to a couple different smaller local churches, and we were trying to find where our home was, basically. And, but I remember some of the earliest memories I have from that period of my life are actually on Palm Sunday. So when these particular churches that we were going to at that time, when you went in, you got a palm. And everybody, you remember that? If you were, if you were, right, yeah, everybody, right? You get the palm leaves and everything. So I remember it was great because it's about the size of a lightsaber and it's exactly what I needed to be beating my sister, you know? Um, they're kind of sharp, so you can try to give your sister paper cuts. If you, I was terrible. I'm just trying to look. I'm changed. I'm a new man. And... <laughs> I was actually talking to my parents last night. My parents are here, and I want to honor them for a moment. Um, thank you for letting me live to adulthood. It was a hard decision, I'm sure. So my mom reminded me that when we were coming home and I had the palms, I'd be waiting until she was driving, and I'd tickle her ear from the back. They'd be like, yee, yee. I'd be driving her crazy. So when I was younger, I understood that on Palm Sunday, what did that mean? That meant that a week later, I was going to get some candy was basically my time frame when I was a kid. And as I've grown, and as I've gotten closer to God, and as I've just simply been in church longer, I've realized that Palm Sunday is actually a very, very important moment in our faith. So I'm going to do a little bit of teaching today. I'm going to do a little bit of preaching today. I'm going to do a little bit of both. Hope that's good with you guys. And so... I just want to start talking about what Palm Sunday is, because you might be in here, this might be your first time here, or maybe you've just been a Christian a little while, and you're kind of in the same stage of life I was at with the lightsaber palms, and we need to get you over into what Palm Sunday really is. So Palm Sunday, in essence, is the day that Jesus proclaimed himself to be king. It was the day that Jesus fulfilled prophecy, and it was the day that people came together to honor him for who he is. So what happened was a little bit before Jesus told two of his disciples to go into a city and they would find a donkey that had never been ridden on ever. And he said, get that and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you why, just tell them the Lord needs it. Which is always a funny thing when you're, you know, kind of stealing but not stealing because God told you to. You know, what are you doing? The Lord needs it. Well, okay then. On your way. Here we are. So Jesus gets on the cult. He gets on this young donkey, on which no one had ever ridden before. And he starts to make his procession into Jerusalem. 
The Bible says that the people, the groups of people that were surrounding him were praising him. They were taking leafy branches or they were taking palms and they were laying them down along the road. And you see, in, older, in olden times, when a king was returning from battle victorious, the people that he was over would meet him outside of the city. They'd say, hey, he won. He's coming back. Let's go. Let's worship him. Let's say thank you. Let's bring him our very best because our king has defended us. He comes back victorious. He's beaten the enemy. That's what this moment in history is meant to signify. Now, this day, this Palm Sunday, was actually not something that caught people completely by surprise because it was something that had been prophesied about 483 years prior to this. And actually, there's two different prophecies that spoke about the triumphal entry. In Zechariah 9.9, it says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So in Zechariah, he kind of paints the picture of what was going to happen, how this was going to occur. And actually in the book of Daniel, there is a series of numbers that Daniel, in Daniel chapter 9, that he indicates how long it would be. And do you know that some historians and some theologians have done some number crunching, and based on other historical events that we know, this happened exactly to the day that Daniel said it would, 483 years later, or 100 and there's a number, 173,880 days. 173,880 days of precision that Daniel spoke through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Jesus was going to do these things. That's kind of crazy, isn't it? That's kind of crazy to me. Jesus fulfilled every prophecy that had ever been written about him. This wasn't the first time that he'd done it. When he was born, he had fulfilled a prophecy about where he would born where he would be born. Now, I don't know about you, I didn't exactly choose Meadowlands Hospital in Sea Caucus, right? <laughs> my parents didn't ask me for my permission to be born in Sea Caucus. They didn't, you know, none of this stuff ever happened, right? So there were things that he fulfilled that were within his control, reasonably speaking, and there were many things that were outside of his control that he still fulfilled. But the amazing thing is that I, I, Jesus wasn't born and giving a checklist by the angel Gabriel. It wasn't like they had a meeting in the manger and he goes, all right, Let's go, big guy. So in 20, eh, give it 30 years, there's going to be a day. It's going to be, you know, 173,880 days after Daniel said it would. You're going to have to find a donkey, and you're going to have to ride into Jerusalem. Okay, big guy? Jesus is like, okay, right, 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 because that's here, that's here, that's here, that's here. <laughs> when people wrote prophecy about Jesus, it wasn't something that he had to live up to. The Bible says that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. When people wrote prophecy about what Jesus would do, the Holy Spirit was simply giving them a glimpse of what would flow out of who he is. So it wasn't a checklist. It wasn't something that he had to live up to. It wasn't something that he went, all right, guys, tomorrow's going to be uh, donkey day. So around two, eh, make it three. We're going to start getting this thing out of the way. He did it because he was in per perfect submission to the Father. He did it because it simply is who he is. He is our king. He is victorious. He is all of these things. So when people wrote about these prophesied and prophesied about him, it wasn't that he had to just catch up and he had to, you know, make the mark and he had to dot the I's and cross the T's. It was that he just had to be who he was. So on Palm Sunday, very often we talk about the palms. Sometimes we talk about the donkey, about the faithfulness of the disciples who went and listened to what Jesus had said and went and got the donkey and brought it to him. 
Sometimes we talk about the people. This is where we get Hosanna in the highest from. If you know that song from way back, way back, I don't know how, if it's way back, but Hillsong a little while ago, I don't want to date myself, Hosanna was the anthem of you know, the church. That's where we get that from. But I wonder, besides the clothes on the ground and the palms being laid down and the donkey and the fulfillment of prophecy, I wonder if, I wonder if today we could look at Palm Sunday just a little bit differently. Because everything that Jesus did, he was in perfect submission to the Father, but he led a life that's worthy to be emulated. He was a model for us to follow. So I wonder if today we could look at Palm Sunday, not so much the event itself, but look at Palm Sunday as a spiritual principle that you and I should be following in our life. When I was, Pastor Anthony asked me um, to speak this weekend several weeks ago, and as I was praying and as I was seeking God about really what he wanted me to talk about today, I was driving home, I was down in South Jersey for work, and if you're coming, you know when you're coming back north on the parkway, you pass the PNC Bank Art Center, and then right past it you get to that open kind of like swampy area with just some waterways and everything? You guys are great, you're from New Jersey, you came home from Cape May before, you know what I'm talking about, right there, right there, a song by Brian and Katie Torwalt called Praise Before My Breakthrough came on my radio. And as I was listening to that song, it was just like God just dropped it on me about Palm Sunday. So today, I want to share about how Palm Sunday was a spiritual model that we should follow. And that's why the title of my message today is I'll Praise Before My Breakthrough. We know that Jesus modeled the way we are to live. In John chapter 13, it says, He said, You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given to you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. This is one instance in which Jesus acknowledged that his actions are something that the disciples should be emulating, that it is a model for us to follow. But it's not just this isolated thing of washing each other's feet that you and I are supposed to be following. It's everything else that Jesus ever did. It's how he lived in submission to the Father. It's how he followed and listened to the voice of the Holy Spirit. So today, though, for a few minutes, I want to take a little bit of a detour to the Old Testament. So today, if you've got your Bibles with you, if you want to open up to 2 Chronicles chapter 20, I'd love to encourage you to bring your Bibles to church. We're going to be looking at the Old Testament because the reality is that so much of what we see happening in the Old Testament, even though it happened in real life and it happened with real people, it actually shows spiritual examples that are very present in the New Testament. And so today, we're going to be looking at a king, and his name is Jehoshaphat. Everyone say that with me. It's fun. Jehoshaphat. You got to get the sh in there. Jehoshaphat. Awesome. So in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, we find King Jehoshaphat. He was actually a very good king. He honored God with his life. He followed God. He instituted reforms in the kingdom of Judah. So at this time in history, Israel and Judah were actually two separate kingdoms. So there was a king of Judah, which had Jerusalem in it, and then there was a king of Israel. So Jehoshaphat was the king of Judah, and he was a good king. And all of a sudden, he gets word that some of their enemies are starting to come their way. And I don't know why, but every time there's enemies listed in the Old Testament, all of their names end in ites. So whenever you see ites, it's kind of bad. So he's got the Moabites, he's got the Ammonites, he's got some Mennonites coming against him. 
And when Jehoshaphat found out that his enemy was coming, he did some things that were practical, that led him to taking a step of action that was very spiritual and had a very real result. So I want to look at kind of what he did and break it down for a moment. Because sometimes when we have the enemy coming our way, is our number one inclination just right off the bat to just turn to God and listen? Front row's honest today. Or do we get nervous and try to fix it ourselves? Do we just think in human terms in a practical way and say, oh, I know how to handle this and just kind of do stuff without actually talking to God? So there's a practical component when an enemy is coming into our world that we should be aware of. So the first thing that Jehoshaphat did today, or did that day, he prayed. But he didn't pray, Lord, woe is me. There's an enemy coming and just protect me. Just, just deal with it. He didn't even pray so much and say, God, oh, what have we done? What have we done? I want to read to you. It's not going to be on the screen, but I want to read to you what he prayed because I think it sets a very nice example. He said, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all kingdoms and nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? The first thing he did was he didn't talk about his problem. He talked about how big his God is. So when we have an enemy coming our way, practically speaking, the first thing we need to be doing is praying. But when we pray, we shouldn't just be magnifying the problem. We need to be magnifying our God. We need to be magnifying the power of Jesus. We need to be telling him. We don't have to remind God of who he is like he forgot, but we remind him of who he is so we remember. Our heart is a fickle little thing sometimes. And we need to remind it of who's in charge in our world. Because it's very easy, emotionally speaking, when a problem comes, our heart's looking up here and it just goes, enemy's coming, oh, panic, panic. We need to constantly be in a state where we're reminding ourselves who God is, how powerful he is, how there's nothing that can come against him, and how big and strong and wonderful and loving that he is. Because what it does is then all of a sudden now we're aligned again in the right direction. He goes on to say, and they have lived in it and built it for you and built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment, or pestilence, or famine, we will stand before this house and before you, for your name is in this house, and cry out to you in our affliction, and you will hear, and you will save. And he goes on, but he's, now he's saying, this is what we're going to do. He's grounded himself. He said, hey, this is you, this is who you are, God, and this is what I'm going to do. I am going to bring something to you. And what's incredible is that he tells God about what the problem is. But then he leaves the ball in God's court. 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. He ends this prayer and he says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. He's the king. He's supposed to have the answers. He's in front of his entire nation right now, magnifying God. Now, can you imagine you're standing there and your king is worshiping and he's saying, God in heaven, all powerful. You're like, yes. And then he's like, we have enemies coming our way. And you're like, yeah, we do. King, tell him what we're going to do. I got no idea, God, but we're going to wait for you. And everybody's going, you kidding me? You don't have a plan? But how often do we try to make plans on our own strength and they don't seem to work out so well? We need to, when an enemy is coming, remind ourselves who God is, 
But then the second thing is we have to listen. Oops, sorry about that. We don't listen as much as we should, do we? Because when problems come our way and issues come our way, often the voice that's screaming loudest isn't the one of faith inside of us. And so we need to orient ourselves, put God first, make sure he's bigger than everything else, and then get to a point where we listen. Because God sent a prophet to them. Right after the king said, we don't know what we're doing. Please send somebody to talk to us. He sent a prophet. And in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 15 to 17, it says, And he said, Listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow, go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. Now that's an answer. But if you read it, it sounds like they still have to go. They still got to do something, right? So God said, you got to show up. You got to stand firm, but I'm going to fight this battle for you. Now, if I'm hearing this and I'm in that crowd, I'm already thinking to myself, okay, I'm going to have to do something. I got to go there. It says stand firm. Does that mean mean they're going to race up till they're like an inch from my face and then God's going to smite them? What does this mean? But they did what they were told. They listened. Now, this prophet was inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring an answer that they were seeking from God. You and I have the Holy Spirit within us all the time. We don't have to wait for a person to listen and be obedient and come into our world, even though that happens. We have him here. We have the word of God, which is more powerful, which is sharper than any two-edged sword. It is the truth by which we fight our battles. You and I have tools at our disposal that these people didn't. So the next day, they listened. They showed up to the battle. And before they got to the appointed place, they got a bunch of they got a worship band together. And it says in 2 Chronicles 20, verses 22 and, 20, uh, 22 and 23, And when they had began to sing in praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. The praise of God not only brought the answer, but it caused the enemy to destroy itself. It caused an implosion in the enemy camp. Everybody was killing everybody. There was no rhyme or reason. Now what's incredible, when Jehoshaphat and his men showed up, they thought they were coming and maybe having to face a battle. They thought maybe they were going to have to come and at least stand firm against an enemy. The Bible says that after this happened, when they showed up to the appointed time ready to go because they had praised God, they had listened, they had prayed, and they had worshipped, when they showed up to the battle, there was not one living person left to fight. Not one. They praised before their breakthrough. And in practical ways, I have a really bad example, but I think it's going to resonate with a lot of people in here today. 
As I've gotten older, I've started to like eating donuts. <laughs> now I'm at a point in my life where I'm really teetering on the edge of really not needing more donuts. Not quite washboard anymore, but we're getting to a point where like, I really should not be eating donuts. I'll be honest with you. I pull up sometimes to Dunkin' Donuts and I'm going to get myself a coffee in the afternoon after a long day out in the field work. You know, you know when it's raining in Israel and you're just like soaked and you're just like, I got to get warm and eat a coffee. And I go, oh, maybe a French cruller should be in there. And I literally will sit in my car for probably 30 seconds saying, you know, you shouldn't do it, Steve. You're not setting yourself up for success. Transform men, transform me, but I'm still struggling, guys. <laughs> what happened there is like if I put on worship and I go into Dunkin' and they don't have the donut that I like. The battle's been won. <laughs> I'm not about to go Boston cream. I hate that thing. I want French cooler. And if it's not there, then I got no donut to eat. And if I got no donut to eat, I'm in better shape. Right? Does that make sense? They showed up and there was no battle to fight. Why do you think praise and worship is so important? Why do you think you should be here not during the third song after you've gotten a coffee? Why do you think we should be honoring the house and honoring God by being here at the beginning? It's because literally things shift off you during worship. Things break during worship. This is not something that we just come together to sing and feel good about ourselves. It's to focus our eyes on God and to really be fighting a spiritual battle when it's happening. We sang this morning, death, you have no hold on me. Do you know what we're singing? We're singing salvation. We're singing that the biggest enemy that could come against us doesn't have us. That's what it is. And when we focus our eyes on God, we see how big he is. We see how strong he is, and we know that there's nothing that can come against us because he defeated death itself. We praise before our breakthrough because it is a spiritual principle. Jesus came riding into Jerusalem, victorious, before the battle started. He proclaimed himself king, and the only way he would be able to proclaim himself king is if he truly defeated sin and death and took back the keys, and he did it. But he didn't do it for a week. So when Jesus was coming in, he modeled that way for us. Praising before the breakthrough gets God's attention. Do you notice? What do you think would have happened if Jehoshaphat and his men just kind of said, well, God kind of just showed us if we show up, we're good. Let's just go there and see what happens. No, they said we're going to honor God. We're going to worship him because he is worthy of all praise. We are going to bring our very best to him. And we know that in that moment, God shifted things. Praise before the breakthrough creates an atmosphere of faith for God to operate in. It focuses me, it focuses me back on God and off of my problems. Yeah. focuses me back on God and off of anything that's ever happened to me. It's focused me back on God and it's taken my attention away from my doubts. Because in all of those things, we can't have any of that when we're trying to fight for a breakthrough. Yeah. Yeah. And praise before the breakthrough is what Jesus modeled. So I want to ask you today, I want to ask you today, what enemy are you facing that you need victory over? What enemy are you facing that you need victory over? Is it apathy? Is it depression? Is it anger? Is it lust? Is it 
anything that you can name that you feel has got you in bondage or separating you from the love of God, because I can tell you there is no enemy that is greater than the name of Jesus. There is nothing that can stand against the name of Jesus. So come on, people. When you have something coming your way and you have something that's maybe been sitting on you your entire life, can today be the day that you praise God for your breakthrough? Can today be the day that you model how Jesus lived and push past the pain and focus on how big your God is over everything else in your world? Have you praised him already for the victory? Have you praised him already for the victory? Praise isn't just for after. It is. It should come afterwards, right? When God comes through and God gives you an answer, it's just like, thank you, Jesus, yes. You are so good. But that should be the afterflow of what I've already brought to him before anything has ever come my way. Are you ready to show up to your battle and find your enemy is already defeated? Sometimes we paint the picture, look, practically speaking, are there things in this world that hurt? Yes. Are there struggles that we go through that feel insurmountable sometimes? Yeah. Is what people have done to us sometimes feel like it is just a hurdle that you can never get over? It can be. Things happen to us. Life happens to us. And I'm not trying to paint the picture that always things is just an on-off switch. But what I am trying to paint the picture of is that as we focus our eyes on Jesus and how strong he is, how much he loves us, that it renders the things we struggle with powerless. So the last question I want to ask you today, are you ready to lay hold of everything that Jesus paid for you to have? Sometimes when we've put our faith in Christ and we've had that salvation moment maybe we don't understand that he didn't just purchase you for eternity he purchased and paid the ultimate price so that here on earth you could have a victorious life so you could be free of your bondage so that you could impact people in Colossians 2.15 it says he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him Jesus has the keys, my friends. He has the solution and the answer to everything we could ever struggle with. And he has the name that is more powerful, more beautiful, more wonderful than anything else in the entire world. And there is nothing that can stand against it. Nothing that can stand against his love and his name. So, right before Jesus came in on his triumphant entry, as he was on his way, about 20 miles away in the city called Bethpage, there was a man named Blind Bartimaeus. He was a Gentile, so he wasn't a Jewish man. And he cried out to Jesus on the side of the road, Son of David, have mercy on me. And he got Jesus' attention. And Jesus had him brought over, and he said, What do you want? And Blind Bartimaeus didn't say, Oh, I want to be the most powerful of your disciples. He didn't ask for riches. He didn't ask for power. He said, Lord, I want to see. And Jesus healed him of his blindness. So before Jesus proclaimed victory over death and came in triumphant, he opened the eyes of a man that represents the entire world. As if to say, hey, Bartimaeus, watch what I'm going to do. And after, in the book of Mark, after the triumphant entry, it says that Jesus, in Mark 11, 11, it says that Jesus, after he'd entered into Jerusalem, 
he went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. He didn't do a miracle. He didn't pull out a scroll and start reading from the prophets. After he proclaimed victory over death, Jesus walked into the only building that represents his body on earth, the temple. In John chapter 2, Jesus said, tear down this temple and I'll raise it up in three days. And the Jewish people around him said, uh, bro, it took 47 years to build this thing. You crazy. So we know that Jesus saw the temple as a representation of himself. So after he proclaimed victory over death, he walked into the building that represented the body that would be broken for you and me five days later, and he looked around. I wonder what he looked at. Did he look around thinking, I'm going to be broken for them? Did he look around knowing that blood would be shed and knowing that he would pay the ultimate price to overcome death and eternal separation from him. But you know what he did? He'd already said he won. Yeah. So while he was in that building, even though he was looking around thinking, oh, I'm going to be broken for them, I'm sure that the faith came because he said, yeah, but I love them and I'm going to bring them home. And I'm coming back. Because on Easter Sunday, there was a breath that came into a body that was dead. And that moment changed it for you and me. Yeah! Yeah! So maybe you're in here this morning. And you've never made the conscious decision to surrender the ownership of your life to Jesus. Not that you've said a prayer and raised your hand because it sounded like a good idea but that you've made him Lord over all your pain, over all your hurt, over all the good, over all the bad, and that he is all in all inside of you. I'm gonna ask everybody to close your eyes and bow your heads real quick for the moment. If that's you in this place, we're gonna say a prayer together. It's not the words that save you. It's not the pattern that saves you. It is the faith that you are putting in Jesus, the man who won the man who defeated sin and death so that you could spend eternity with him and have a victorious life here on earth. If you want to earn this place and you want to make that choice today, say this prayer along with us. And everyone repeat after me. Say, Lord, I believe you led a sinless life, that you died, and that you rose again victorious. I believe you paid for every one of my sins. I believe you have the keys. Lord, live in me. Today I am a Christian. Help me follow you all of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, with everyone's eyes closed and heads bowed, if that was you in this place today and you made that choice, I'm actually going to ask you, could you stand up at your seat and take a look at me? Thank you, my friend. I see you standing right there. Anyone else in this place make that choice today and you want to stand? Amen. I'm going to talk to you for a minute because I want to tell you I'm proud of you. 
I want to tell you, you just made the best choice you're ever going to make in your entire life. And I want to encourage you, when you go out this door, there's a connect counter out there. we got a book for you. It's going to resource you. But man, keep growing. Keep making him bigger than anything that can ever come against you. And you're going to be a winner. Hey, can we all stand up? If you want to hear more empowering messages and learn more about Church Alive, make sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at churchalive.tv. We hope to see you this weekend. Have a great week.